Father God, we are in awe of who you are. You are such a wonderful God. We praise your glorious name. Lord, thank you for these musicians who have led us before your throne. I pray now as we come to your word that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might learn from you, that we might see, and Father, that we would not leave here unchanged. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm Dan. It's good to see all of you again today. I, I know most of you, or have met most of you. Some of you are new, and I just praise the Lord for this church and for what God is doing. We will be today in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, <clears throat> David has invited me to teach about every two months, so I plan to go ahead and go through the book of Colossians um, over the next, what would that be, eight months? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, We'll uh, hit it about every two months. We'll go uh, to Colossians chapter 1 today. And I'm going to use this book, a uh, forward by Greg Laurie, but it's written by Jeff Lesane, Highway 66, and gives some great tidbits on the book of Colossians. Colossians is one of the only two epistles written by Paul that has never uh, been previously visited by him. He never went there. Anybody know the other church he never went to offhand? Rome, Romans. Now, he ended up going there, but when he wrote the book, he had never been there, if that makes sense. Colossians, like Philippians, contains some of the greatest passages on the deity and ministry of Christ. Over four-fifths or 80% of the verses in Colossians are repeated in Ephesians with some variants. In Colossians, Paul deals with many forms of false teaching and harmful doctrines, including legalism, mysticism, asceticism, and Gnosticism. Though Colossians is a smaller epistle, Paul uses 55 words that aren't found in any of the other epistles. There are no references made in Colossians to the Old Testament, which is very unusual for any New Testament book. In Colossians 1.8, Paul makes his only brief reference to the Holy Spirit, keeping this epistle centered on Christ. Colossians contains many unique titles for Christ, such as image of the invisible God, firstborn from the dead, and so on. Colossians is one of Paul's four prison epistles along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Charles Pickle says this, he says, the epistle to the Colossians contains the heart of the Christian message. One cannot engage in a serious study of its contents without being deeply and profoundly affected. No other New Testament book is more relevant in our generation for the manifestations of the heresy at Colossae are present today. And I would say amen. These same heresies are being spread even now in our culture uh, Jeffrey Wilson says, as therefore this epistle forms one of the peaks in the New Testament revelation of Christ, all who desire to reach a correct understanding of His person, that's Jesus, must resolve to scale its heights. The message of Colossians is that believers are complete in Christ. Uh, one of the notable notes at the end here, it says, Epaphras, the pastor and probable founder of the church at Colossae, traveled over a thousand miles from Colossae to Rome just to seek Paul's counsel and help for handling serious doctrinal attacks against the Christian faith in that region. 
The epistle to the Colossians is Paul's answer to Epaphras' plea for help. Paul's epistle did not come back with Epaphras, either because he himself was in prison with Paul or because Paul had asked Epaphras to stay and help him there. So, historically, Colossae was a prosperous city and famous. It was on one of the major trade routes until before this book was written, it was diverted around to Laodicea. So, really, the, the, the city was in decline because of that. It was a place that they made uh, fabric dyes. Um, when Paul wrote this book just after, Tacitus, one of the great historians, said that an earthquake caused the city to be decimated, completely decimated, so soon after. So we don't see the book of Colossae in Revelation. The church of Colossians met uh, when it was founded at Philemon's house. If you remember Philemon? You remember his slave Onesimus in the book of Philemon that was written by Paul? Great study, that is. The church was dealing with what later became known again as Gnosticism, that God is good, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God and being less than God, a belief that led them to deny His true humanity and that a secret higher knowledge above Scripture was necessary for enlightenment, enlightenment and salvation. It's an apologetic epistle. It argues for truth that was much needed in Colossae, a city filled with untruths and theology guided and influenced by the world around them. Be careful, Paul writes, his Colossian brothers and sisters, know the truth, be grounded in truth. In chapter 1, he discusses the truth about Christ. In chapter 2, the truth about the cults. And in chapter 3 and 4, the truth about being a Christian and living as one. Again, because of the, the teachings here in the book of Colossae, I think it has much relevance to our day and age in which we're living in now. Because many of us are asking what truth is and how to navigate it how to try to get through these discussions at the Thanksgiving dinner table that deal with vaccinations and deal with um, government and deal with the world in which we live, that deal with the things we see in the end times that we're seeing even some signs now that maybe we're coming up to some of those end times. I'm sure David will talk much about that in his study of the book of Revelation. All right, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So Paul was called as an apostle, as you know, by Christ himself on the road to Damascus, right? And he was called not by himself. He didn't stand up and say, you know what? Those Christians, they have something, and I want to be one of those apostles. And there's many parallels to today. There are some pastors that say, well, I'm going to be a pastor, and I'd like to have that job and that church and so forth, and they call themselves and get in the pulpit, and you find out that they're not called. They're not filled with the Spirit. So we need both an internal call, a desire, right? But we also need an external call. We need the body of Christ to legitimize the gift that we have, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching. Uh, so it's both. 
Paul had both. He had the inward desire after Jesus talked to him on that road to Damascus. He's ready to lay it all down saying, you know what? I should have been gone. I should have been dead. I was persecuting the church of Christ. I was voting against Christians to their death on the council. And now Christ not only has come to me, he's kept me alive. He has given me a chance. It says, by the kindness of God, brothers and sisters, we're led to repentance. And when we're in the middle of all of our sin and all of our mess, and God gives us that grace that's so clear, how wonderful it is to come to know Him and love Him because of that kindness that He extends to us. You know, He could have threatened Paul on the road to Damascus because of what he was going to do. He could have shamed Paul, and that's much of the world we live in today, especially if you're in their military. It's shame, fear, control. It's a whole model is based on shame, right? Some of us raise our kids like that. We, we raise them and just shame them and shame them into conformity and all the way up. It's hard when you've been raised in that environment, isn't it? God doesn't do that. And He didn't do that to the Apostle Paul. By His kindness, the Paul, Paul the Apostle was led to repentance. So the Apostle Paul, by the will of God, to Timothy, our brother, uh, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was his, again, his helper, his one that was aiding him in the ministry, probably physically wrote this for him. The technical term for that is amanuensis. It's somebody who writes it all down and dictates it for you, gets it ready for you, kind of your personal assistant. From them to the saints, verse 2, and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. As you notice, he's calling those who are in Christ, those who are brothers and sisters, he's calling them saints. If you come from a Catholic background, you don't use that word, do you, for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. You only use it for those that the church deems are saints. The Scripture teaches that all who know Christ and are in Christ are saints, that we are saints. In the church in Colossae, they were faithful, and he says what he typically says when he greets, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Two wonderful, wonderful realities that we have as children of the living God. We have grace, God's riches at Christ's expense that are totally undeserved, but we also have His peace. We also have the promise of His peace. Verse 3, we thank, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, Paul says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So this was a a wonderful church in the sense that they not only had love for one another, right? They were rich in faith, and they also loved and were full of faith because of, verse 5, the hope laid up for them in heaven. So they believed the gospel. They knew that if they died positionally, they were holy and that they would be instantly in the presence of Almighty God. 
And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, positionally you are 100% holy. Did you know that? And 100% sanctified before the Father. You instantly go into His presence, it says in Jude 24, with great joy, blameless. You say, wait a second. (laughs) No, no, no. When I get there, God's going to say, well... We let him in or we let her in. She just barely got in because she tipped that scale of good. No, 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 no. Our righteousness is imputed righteousness from Jesus Christ. And our holiness, our sanctification is a gift based on the faith that we have and what Christ did on the cross. And our holiness, our blamelessness is because... He has given us that gift. Amen? So when we enter heaven, he's not going to shake his head and say, oh, that mess up is here. Dan's here. You know, he just barely slid in. I'm going to let him in. Let this be a warning. No, no, no. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 100%. At the same time, we're being sanctified, aren't we? The reality here on earth, we're still wrestling with sin. We got mess in here to, to struggle with. And, and we wrestle with that. We examine ourselves, as the Scripture says, to, to make sure that we are in the faith. Because some days I wake up, brothers and sisters, and it seems, seems kind of rough. The balance, I look at it and I think, you know what? I got a lot of flesh in there today. God help me. Jesus help me. Please help me, Jesus. Y'all ever feel like that? This church was full of faith, they were full of love, and they were full of hope. And that hope, y'all, is not a hope like the world hopes. That's a hope that's based on an assurance, an assurance of the promises of God being yes and amen. It's a sure hope. Now, that love is a special love we have in the body. It's a unique love, isn't it? It's an agape love. It's, a, it's not a love, touchy-feely love. It's, it's a serving kind of love. The feelings follow with this kind of love. All the three other loves in the Greek language are the love, the feeling precedes whatever happens. It comes before it. But agape love is the love, the serving kind of love where the feelings come after. And many times it's hard to love one another in the body of Christ. There's a lot of friendly fire in the body of Christ. Do you know that? That's the hardest thing. The Psalms talk about it. David talks about it. Feeling like he's getting stabbed in the back. You ever feel like that in the body of Christ? Things just don't happen. Somebody rubs you wrong and you go with the expectation you're going to be loved and brother or sister's having a rough day and boom, friendly fire hurts the most. It's just like in a marriage, right? Like in a family, friendly fire is the worst. When those who you love the most, you feel like are attacking you or, or getting at you. But our love is one as the world looks on in John thirteen thirty five. By this all men will know that you are disciples if you have love for one another. So as we love each other well and learn how to do it well, the world will look on. Visitors will come here to this church. And they will see the love you have for each other and be drawn to Jesus. Be drawn to the faith. Amen? Amen. 
Verse 6, which has come to you, this gospel of truth has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Paul is presenting the gospel like a traveler that's traveling around. And it has come to the Colossian church in verse 6 as it has gone into all the world, and it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Now, we know that God's Word in Isaiah 55, 11, which goes forth from His mouth, it will not return to Him empty without accomplishing what He desires. The gospel is effective. The gospel's powerful. We know from Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's powerful enough to change hearts and lives, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it, should we? It is powerful, powerful to change hearts and lives. This gospel that we have has gone into all the world, and brothers and sisters, we are living in an amazing time. We're able to know because of media what's happening in Africa, what's happening in Latin America, what's happening in China, what's happening in Iran right now. There's a great revival. The gospel is powerful. It changes not only the hearts of people, but whole people groups. It changes the way countries work and the way they function. And God's gospel is going forth from you, from here, from Calvary Chapel, Irmo. And it's changing hearts and lives. What is the gospel? Very simply, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That, in essence, is the gospel in a nutshell. Now, you really need to understand that you're a sinner and that you have a need for the gospel before you accept the gospel. The proud are ones who think that they're self-righteous and don't need the gospel. They're the ones working their way to heaven because their works are so good and so great that they've tipped that scale so much that, man, they have no question they're going to get in based on their, their self-righteousness, right? But no, the gospel, the real gospel is understanding for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that we are sinners. Each one of us needs a Savior. And then six. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were in the middle of our sin, Christ died for us and he called us to himself. The gospel is powerful and effective and is going forth to change the hearts and lives of of many millions, and brothers and sisters at this point, I would venture to say billions. Yeah, I would venture to say billions on the face of this earth. There's seven billion people on the face of the earth. I would, I would venture to say that God, before it's all done, that those up there with us will be in the billions. Now, is he going to tarry long enough for the trillions? I don't know about that. I don't know if the earth will sustain trillions. But we know it's, it's, it's immeasurable, as the Scriptures say. It's like the sand on the seashore. 
You can't count it. If you had a lifetime, in fact, many lifetimes, you can't count the numbers of those who will be there. Amen? The gospel is powerful. It is effective. And Paul says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Epaphras started the church according to tradition, and he was there helping Paul in prison, and he is a faithful servant. And he informed us of your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What a blessing that is that He's given them and given us by preserving His Word for us. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God desires us to walk in His will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know that you're in the center of the will of God, those are three things you can start doing. Rejoice always, being a thankful people, not just on Thanksgiving, right? Being thankful, rejoicing. Not because of the accident you just got in, God forbid, not because of the loved one that just died that you, that, that you love dearly. No, not at the circumstances. We rejoice in the circumstances. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So as we're filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding... Man, that's a big word there. All means all. <laughs> all wisdom. All the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What a gift that is. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all power according to His glorious might. So not only do we need to bear fruit as we do that, as we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, growing in fruit, increasing in knowledge, strengthened with His power. We can't do it on our own. In our weakness, we, He is made strong, isn't He? In our weakness, when we don't have what we think we need to make it. To walk with Christ, we cry out to Him and He gives us what we need. And what a promise at the end for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Man, do I need that. As a 54-year-old man who has five kids and two grandchildren, the people I work with, I need to be steadfast. I need to be patient more than ever. 
And it seems like those lessons are coming more and more for me. It's so easy to be impatient, isn't it? Our culture trains us to be impatient. We want it now, 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 now. And everybody around us walks on pins and needles just waiting for us to react, 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 right? Zero to 60, that quick, all the time. No, no, no. God wants us to be different. As we're filled with the Spirit, as we grow in Christ, as we're strengthened through His power, we will learn to be steadfast and patient. Steadfast, uh, Kittle says steadfast is this, quote, the endurance which is given with hope for the realization of the kingdom of God, a basic attitude of the Christian as he faces the attacks of a hostile and unbelieving world, and as he finds himself in the midst of its temptations. Steadfastness is pretty good stuff, huh? That's what we need. That's what we need so that we can rest, live in peace, and be patient with those around us, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, being qualified. If you're in NASCAR, that's very clear, right? You've got to make the right time to be in the lineup to be qualified. If you're an Olympic athlete, to be qualified means that you have made it and you have run fast enough or done your routine good enough or the best, right, in order to be at the very top, to be qualified. For us, It means to make sufficient, to empower, or to authorize. God has filled us with His qualification, with His empowerment, with His sufficiency. He has authorized us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's us. That's us. Amen? Amen. Four, verse 13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's the gospel. God has forgiven us of all our sin. As far as the east is from the west, I'm glad it doesn't say north and south, because, man, you get up to the North Pole, you start going south again, right? And we don't need that. East from the west is always east from the west. If you go around this way, you're good. I love it that He has taken us as far as the east is from the west from our sin, from being judged for our sin. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, Christ, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Jesus is the Son of God, but was delegated the creative process, which is really interesting. I remember as a young man learning that and thinking, well, I thought God created the heavens and earth. Well, He did. Jesus is the fullness, as we'll learn in a few verses, the fullness of the deity. But God delegated to Him and as it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, He is the radiance of 
the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. We know also in John chapter 1, turn over there to John chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus was the actual Creator. Go over to Hebrews chapter 1. We were just there. I just quoted it, but... I left the verse out that talks about his creative. It's verse 2. In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. There it is. Jesus is the creator. And we see that in three separate passages in the New Testament that Jesus himself was the creator. He's the firstborn, it says in verse 15. He's the Firstborn, as in the Old Testament firstborn, he's the one that is given the blessing. He's the one that was the firstborn from the dead. He was raised and given the first immortal body. We will be given a body like his when we are raised as well. But he was the first one to receive that body. Lazarus did not receive that body. Lazarus was raised from the dead and was, he kept his old body. He wasn't given a body like Jesus that could walk through walls and appear at will. Lazarus was given just his old body back when he was raised. Poor Lazarus had to die twice, right? <laughs> All right, verse 16. Uh, go back to um, Colossians 1 and verse 16. By him, things were created both in heaven, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ created, yes, even the angels. It's pretty amazing. Principalities and the powers were created by Jesus. You know, I love it that even though that a third of the angels rebelled, who has the creative ability, Satan or God? He can create a trillion more just because he's God. I love that about him. He is in dominion over the rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers that we are wrestling against on a daily basis, brothers and sisters. He, Jesus, verse 17, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is down to the protons, the neutrons. He actually holds everything together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have come, will come to have first place in everything. And as Pastor David begins to teach on the book of Revelation, that book was written for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. 
our Lord and our Savior. All glory goes to Him. Four, verse 19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. He is deity. He is deity. And through Him, verse 20, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by that suffering on that cross on that day 2,000 years ago, Jesus began a reconciliation process that not only deals with us and our hearts, but also the heavens and the earth, of reconciling things back to the proper order. It talks about that in Romans, that the very creation has been affected by the fall, as we know. The thorns, the animals that uh, have turned on us, and if you're in a the certain place at the wrong time, uh, you're going you're gonna to be in trouble. If you decide to go to the zoo today and hop the fence into the lion's pit, um, you'll have quite a day on your hands. Um, God has allowed creation to run amok, so to speak, but Christ, through His death and resurrection, is reconciling all of this to Himself. And although, verse 21, you, us, the Colossians, all of us, were formally, formally alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled us in His fleshly body through death in order to present us before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Amen? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Psalm 40. We were in a pit, a miry pit, and we couldn't get out. Somebody had to reach in and pull us out, and that's what Christ did. He reached in, he pulled us out through his death on that cross, and he has offered to us salvation that's free, but not without cost. Great cost to him by putting himself, perfect God, on that cross, by being separated from his Father on that cross. And he has reconciled us to himself and presented us blameless and faultless. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. There's many, many passages that teach on the perseverance of the saints, that teach on the fact that once you are saved, you can't be snatched away. That's what it says in John chapter 10, John chapter 14. Many, many, many passages. So what does this passage mean? What could it possibly mean? That, is, is, it, is it us saving ourselves and keeping us in the faith? Are we holding on with white knuckles doing our best every day to work enough to, again, tip that scale and to stay in the face? Is it up to us, you guys, to save ourselves and keep ourselves there so we don't slip and fall? No. The good news is that you're safe in the arms of God. The bad news is that when you do slip and fall and you do stray, He will discipline you severely. 
Now it starts off very gently. He's a very good disciplinarian. He starts off very kindly, very gently, but it gets worse as you do rebel more or say no more, right? But he's really good at it. All of life's circumstances are in his hands. He, he, he's the one that threads providence through all of our lives, through all the fabric, the tapestry of our lives. He's a great disciplinarian, and he works us into a corner, and we say, Father, I have nowhere else to go. I'm sorry. I see the error of my ways. Will you please forgive me? Will you please help me to walk again in the Spirit? And he brings us back. As Psalm 23 says, that rod and staff, they shouldn't be on the comfort list, but they are. That rod and staff hurt, but they're good because we can trust that we're in the faith and we don't have to live in fear that we're going to hell when we die. You see what I'm saying? It's, they're wonderful. So, this is being written to a church that had unbelievers in it. There are people there that didn't yet come to the saving faith in Christ. So, he's basically saying in verse 23 that you need to examine yourselves. You need to make sure you're in the faith. You need to make sure that you are walking in the faith, that you truly know me and aren't just going through the motions and aren't just acting like you're full of the Spirit, that you actually factually are justified before my sight and that you are mine. Be careful, verse 23, not to delude yourselves, not to play the game. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, Paul says, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this is the proof text that the Catholics use for what? For indulgences or for um, suffering so that your, your relative can, can be sprung out of purgatory or out of hell, all right? Is that what this is saying? No, it's not. Verse 24, we rejoice in the sacrifices we make when we realize who they are for, those we love, whether it is someone we love in our family or for someone in the body of Christ who needs us so much. It is worth it when we finally see a breakthrough and realize how God has changed them. So no, we suffer through with each other as we, as we suffer in this life. And Paul, as Paul suffered and laid down his life for this church and was whipped, he was stoned to death at one point. Uh, I think he got 39 lashes three times. Um, he went through a lot. He, he suffered a lot for the, for the sake of the gospel, for the church of Christ. And God, y'all, we need to do some of that too. And in this culture, it's hard. Um, our persecutions come in different forms and in different ways. A lot of times it's, it's more principalities and powers, but it affects our day and it affects uh, the way we live. And it's very, very difficult when we're walking in Christ. It's difficult when we are faithful to come to church or teach a Sunday school class or to teach a Sunday morning service and see the fallout spiritually from that. It's difficult. It can be very difficult. Yesterday, I was with a brother who's dying. He's 38. He got some of that wrong uh, vape stuff about two or three years ago. He's got three little kids, and he says, you know, I don't want to die. I want to raise these kids. 
He's suffering terribly. Uh, he's throwing up and just, uh, just kind of delirious and all of just the pain and the suffering of what he was going through. I was with him yesterday for a couple hours and tried to help out as much as I could when he was alert um, there at the house. His wife and kids were gone for the day and asked me to come over and see him. These are the people we need to try to help and be with. And, and when we suffer, especially in the body of Christ, we need to be with each other and do all we can to be near each other, to support each other, to love each other, to be there, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Not all of us are gifted um, with people that are sick. Um, my mom is a nurse and my grandmama's a nurse. And everybody says, if I go to the emergency room, uh, I want Judy. That's my mama there. If I'm suffering and I'm in bed sick and whining and crying, I want Marjorie there. That's my grandmama. They have different gifts. Mama's the, the EMT uh, emergency room type. She's going to get it done. She takes charge. She tells you, you don't need to cry over this. You're going to be okay. Boom, 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 boom. She's got a huge heart. Don't get me wrong. But grandmama, she's just there to just sympathize with you and, you know, rub your hand and just be there the whole time. She's got that gift of mercy. And, uh, you know, we need to be there for each other. No matter how God has made you, we're all made to serve each other in different ways. And that's how we love each other. Of this church, verse 25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested in, to the saints. Uh, these mysteries, um, typically in the Old Testament as revealed in the New, are that the Gentiles are part of the body of Christ that we're going to be part of the Jewish nation. Father Abraham's going to be there when we get there. And he has revealed this in the, the generations now, and it has been manifested. It has been showed. It has been revealed to us, which is a great, great treasure that we are part, fully part of the body of Christ, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, not only when you become a Christian do you get the presence and power of the Spirit, Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We get his righteousness, we get his perfection, but we also have him. You say, well, where does he live? In your heart? Well, I don't know all the terms we use. We use that with children, you know, that Christ lives in our heart. I think there's a one verse that alludes to that, but physically, is he there? When you open up a heart, Jesus isn't there. Spiritual. He is in us, as the Holy Spirit is in us. He is there. He is the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, verse 28, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We are on a mission as those who teach and preach the word of God. Uh, 
1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God is in me. Brothers and sisters, we need to be about the work of the kingdom. We need to be intentional in our love for each other and in our proclamation of the gospel and our warning, this culture that is is on the way to hell. We need to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. And I'm finishing up now. I'm sorry to go long today. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, Paul says, which mightily works in me. It's His power, it's His strength that works in and through us. Uh, In review, all Christians are saints, we're brethren. The gospel is good news because it is hope, it's bearing constant fruit, it's multiplying the kingdom, Uh, it's God's Word, it's unstoppable, and it's accomplishing exactly what He desires and intends. God wants us to walk with Him in such a way that we bear fruit and that we're steadfast and patient. God wants His children to be strengthened with His power. He wants His children to have a thankful temperament. All right, the Lord Jesus Christ is the firstborn over everything, the creator of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. He's the head of the church, the beginning of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's fully God. He's reconciled all things to Himself. He has reconciled us to Himself despite our hostility and our evil deeds, as it said. He presents us holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. The Lord Jesus Christ lives in us, and He is our hope of glory. He's our Savior, our power, our goal, our means through admonishing and teaching and presenting every man complete in Him. And finally, brothers and sisters, in light of this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this wonderful book that You gave to the Colossians and Father, that you have given to us, we praise you for your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that today we will live in the reality, Lord, that we are in your grip. If we've given our heart and our life to you, if we've made the decision to become your sons and your daughters, Lord, you have us and we are safe. Father, when you discipline us, I pray that we would yield to you. And Father, if there's any brother or sister in here that is not yet a brother or sister, any friend who is not in the kingdom, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.